Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Monergy Life. This is Robert Fisher, your host. Tonight, I have the very special pleasure of welcoming Daniel Roth, who is the co-founder of JumpScale Partners, a new strategy group designed to bridge the clean energy, social impact, and integrative health worlds. Uh, Daniel should be calling in any moment, and I'm very excited to hear about his latest project, as well as some of his continuing work. He's also the principal of Ecosoma, uh, which stands at the creative nexus of social responsibility, ecological education, um, organized sustainability, and the healing arts. That's quite a lot of things to consider and cover, and I can't wait to hear about some of his specific projects and goals for the coming year. We're also going to touch upon uh, one of Daniel's um, new projects, which involves ancestral healing, also a fascinating topic. So Daniel is calling in right now. Hello, Daniel. Is that you? Yes. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to Monergy Life. How are you this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Great, great. Um, The timing was perfect. I just gave a short introduction to our audience about you. And um, I don't know where to begin. Let's begin with your newest venture called Jump Scale Partners. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Well, it's, uh, it's a decade in the making, so to speak, and uh, it's the culmination of a, a long-time uh, friendship um, with, uh, with a good friend and colleague who's been in the renewable energy industry on, on many different fronts for over a decade and combining our, our work um, into a new, a new hybrid type of organization that's uh, part consultancy, um, strategy consultancy, and part uh, impact incubator for, for startups and nonprofits that are trying to have a, an impact um, across essentially what we're calling clean, well, and good, which is our way of describing um, three very interconnected areas of, of life, um, clean energy and clean food, um, social good, community development, um, access to uh, land, and wellness and integrative health. So um, we're just getting that off the ground now, and um, this I think is probably the first time I've I've said that to anybody but our close friends. So glad to announce it here. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, so. What type of clean energy are you focusing on at the moment? What, what do you see ahead for the next year in terms of, uh, the, you know, the direction that that field is going? Yeah. Well, our approach in general is to look at um, kind of look at whole communities and whole regions and uh, design and support solutions and initiatives that really deal with you know, multiple facets. So, um, biochar is a really exciting um, technology that's um, finally coming to maturation now, which is a way of um, 
turning, in many cases, waste um, products from um, shrub, uh, scrub bushes to waste products from uh, the farming industries into a carbon-free energy source um, by, by burning it essentially in a very specific way where the carbon is not released, but you can access the energy stored in the, the fiber. Um, so by, there's a handful of organizations working globally around um, how to help farmers uh, in developing countries um, produce energy. And the byproduct of biochar or the, the process of, of making energy in this case is actually a, a really potent soil amendment. So these farmers can take waste streams, produce energy, and then take the, the biochar and put it back in their fields to actually get higher fertility. So there's, there's a whole piece of this, which is around poverty reduction and um, supporting farmers to be less uh, dependent on, um, on industrial chemicals and uh, fertilizers and produce energy in the process. So that's a really exciting area. I think a lot of people will not have heard about. We're also really interested in um, beginning to do some work around um, microgrids and peer-to-peer -peer, movement of, of money and energy between different parts of a community where some people might have solar on the roofs, other people might have uh, an electric vehicle that's plugged in or a battery. And you can start to have peer-to-peer -peer exchange of power and um, money within a community. And so the, uh, the area we, we think at least Americans are, uh, are paying a lot of attention to um, is Puerto Rico. And so we're really interested in how to support Puerto Rico as a region, as, a, uh, as an area to really rebuild their, their workforce and their um, their economy around renewable energy and to demonstrate how um, some communities can um, provide their own energy and create more kind of communal ownership and community interaction around um, what in the past has been often kind of a very centralized utility space. So those are just some examples of the kinds of uh, projects that we're interested in where there is a clean energy technology, but we're really interested in kind of the ways in which clean energy plays a role in the economy, the society, and these kind of inter, inter, interrelated and overlapping dimensions. Do you want to give our listeners a little bit of a background as to how you got involved in this in the first place? Well, if you want to know the long story... <laughs> um, well we don't have that much time, but, uh, you know, a few minutes sure. to familiarize uh, our listeners with your background. Just, just a bit. Sure. Just a bit. Sure. Well, um, just, to, just to give you a, a sense of it, I mean, I, I, growing up, I probably the, the three most um, magical parts of my childhood were, were canoeing, um, was archery and bow hunting, and um, – and shoveling people's snow. <laughs> and I think those areas <laughs> of my life kind of have, have kind of matured into, into what has been um, about 15 going, well, it's really 20 years, to be honest, that if I think about it, I, I organized my first international conference on sustainable development when I was 19 years old and, and now I'm 39. Wow. So um, going on 20 years, I, 
it's clearly something really uh, shaped me early on to to think about um, think about our environment, think about how humans interact with our environment, um, and um, to and to not feel I'd say guilty that that we are so dependent on our environment, um, and to to really find a kind of sense of power in how we relate to our environment. Um, and really honor that relationship in different ways. And, um, you know, there's nothing but like a, a canoe trip down a whitewater river kind of reminds you of who's in charge, um, on this planet. And, uh, it's definitely not humans. So there was some, some early experiences that I think definitely shaped my career. And, um, it, it just kind of went on from there. I, there was also a few experiences I had growing up that um, with police violence in my own neighborhood and watching um, kind of racism unfold in and how policing happens in inner cities in America and just seeing that up close and personal with my own friends uh, ending up in jail um, because in many cases, because they were targeted because of their skin color. And it, um, I, I think I had a strong sense at that age um that that we really had to fight for equity and justice and and combining those two worlds set me on a path to uh to working on sustainable development it's like how do you how do you work for justice and the environment together and some of the highlights of my career have been um starting the first car share business um owned and operated in New York state which helped spawn um, community scale car share businesses um, in um, almost all the major cities in New York state um, and working in the higher education field to, to advance the integration of sustainable development as both an, an academic priority and as an operational norm for how large campuses uh, run their, run their operations. Um, and that that was a major part of my life's work for about ten years is is working in higher education uh, around sustainable development. But um, I think this uh, these pieces may seem disparate to, to some of your listeners, but in in my life journey, it was just kind of an ongoing learning process of how to have the um, how to have the biggest impact with the skills and the, the personality that I have. Uh, do you think that Americans on the whole are less inclined to be environmentally conscious than some of their European counterparts? Um, America is, is in an, in an interesting moment. Um, I don't think Americans per se have always been the same. I, I think there's an, been an evolution um, that may have taken place in America first and is, is actually kind of sweeping the world. And it has to do in my mind with how people relate to, um, to their natural resources and to um, in, let's just call it indigenous communities. And, and by that, I mean, if, if you feel disconnected from the cultures that have really been stewarding a, a, a piece of land or an, a region, or if you feel really disconnected from the plants and the animals that are keeping you alive, it's really easy to, um, to make decisions that where those kind of ripple effects um, 
into those worlds aren't really accounted for. And I think that's what's going on in America. I'm, I'm not sure Americans care less about the environment. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, polling that goes on about Americans um, and, you know, how would they rank kind of environmental issues and, and the environment across the whole political spectrum actually is really high on the list. Like people care about the environment, but I think the challenge is that America has been there like the experimentation bed for um, a really aggressive form of, of, of capitalism and a very um, kind of disconnected economy. And so I think we're seeing the results of that, but not so much the lack of concern for the environment. Um, so I, in my mind, those are kind of two different things. And, and, and I think Americans are, are suffering from this kind of disconnection more than they're um, uh, in any way trying to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you advise some of our listeners who are for the most part American, although the show airs all over the world, to get more involved in sustainability and a connection to the actual plant world, you know, close to where they're living? For me, at the end of the day, why I care about these things is because there are very specific places that I uh, fell in love with um, growing up. And I, and I guess that's where I would start with, with anybody would just be to really, to remember where on the planet they felt really connected to something bigger than themselves. Um, you know, was it a stream that they played in growing up? Was it a, um, even if it was like a basketball court that they, they loved playing basketball on growing up, or is it, um, you know, a particular food that they might have been fed as a, as a kid that they still love, like follow that river and follow that, you know, to where, to its source. Um, you know, if you love chicken, like pay attention to where the chickens are coming from and like go learn about chicken and, you know, how it's raised. And if you love the stream that you grew up, you know, playing with, like, pay attention to how it's doing these days. Or if it's, if you love basketball, like I think to me, that's the essential piece of sustainability is having a relationship with the places that we inhabit. um, That's that you're really caring for the the kind of more subtle, um, the more subtle dimension of that. um, Because I think we all have had that experience at some time in our life and we've either been kind of ripped away from that or we've drifted away from that. And um, that's where I start with any time I'm working with college students or with elementary school students or even guys who are running a power plant. It's like, you know, the guys who run a power plant, like they know more about coal than 90% of people walking down the street, even though those 90% of the people walking down the street depend on coal to power their homes. But the guys who work in a power plant, they actually know what coal smells like, what it feels like. They, they actually can, they've touched it before. And they actually know that this stuff is like, you know, can be dangerous. They know that it's, um, you know, incredibly powerful because they've watched it, you know, create energy so intimately. So, 
instead of demonizing, you know, oh, the guys at the coal plant, you know, they must be you know, totally unconcerned about the environment. It's like, no, actually, those are some really hardworking guys, and, and they themselves could start a journey of kind of paying attention to coal and how, and, and if there was an option to do something else besides burning coal, you know, would they prefer a job, you know, putting up wind turbines and keeping, you know, wind turbines running smoothly? And, and a lot of them would. And that when they're given the option, a lot of people choose a different path. Well, is there such a thing as clean coal? Well, it's a, it's a great slogan. Um, you you can you can capture a lot of the carbon emissions um, from a smokestack that's burning anything, um, and most you know responsible utilities and um, countries that really care about innovation and the health of their their uh, you know citizens they do put various kinds of scrubbers and carbon capturing systems into their power plants. Um, to, to make sure essentially just like, you know, the exhaust of your car, the exhaust of your car has been cleaned quite a bit through your muffling, muffler system before it shoots out the back. So can you make coal cleaner by, by doing that? Absolutely. And every attempt should be made to do that. Um, but the real impact of coal um, and, a few, and other fossil fuels is that the, the full impact of it is actually in the whole life cycle from the mining or the drilling um, and the people that can be, dis that have to be displaced often or the ecology ecosystems that need to be um, used to extract those things to then the transportation, the refinement. Uh, it's a dirty business all along. Um, and, you know, when we are dependent on that for our economic activity, um, you know, we, we put up with a lot of pollution and a lot of uh, human health impact that at this point we essentially just don't need. We, our, our economy um, just simply doesn't need that fuel source anymore because we've developed um, cleaner ones. So it's, at this point, it's just kind of like how much do we keep using the dirtier stuff when we know we've got cleaner stuff? And it's, it's probably just a matter of time. And uh, it will get phased out because it's, there's so many negative consequences that, that come along with that whole life cycle. What do you think about nuclear energy? I think it's a, it's a really powerful technology. I mean, everybody's seen it, you know, they've seen how much energy can be generated from it. Um, you know, there's a reason why no in private insurance company would ever touch insuring a nuclear power plant probably the riskiest um, when it goes wrong compared to anything. So honestly, my, I don't share this with a lot of people, um, but I'll say it publicly, which is I think if, if we had a, a, a really perfected and mature technology to, uh, to do nuclear energy in a, um, uh, in, a, in a highly safe way where you, you would basically eliminate the meltdown situation and we could um, reprocess nuclear fuel so that you could essentially keep using it for energy until it was no longer radioactive. Um, and there are ways of doing that. It's just, they're very expensive and they are cost prohibitive. So we, we end up having all this nuclear waste that sits around in pools and we try to bury it in various different ways. And, 
So, you know, nuclear power as a concept is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's one of the purest forms of energy that keeps the sun going. Um, are we ready politically and financially to harness that energy in a way that won't put us more at risk? I, I think we've shown that we're not ready for that yet. Um, you know, we just, we're trying to look for cheap forms of energy. So we're, the, what would end up happening is we'll try to do nuclear as cheaply as possible. And it's such a powerful um, source of energy that I, I think you just can't do it cheaply. You end up causing more harm than good um, when you do it cheaply. And so that's, that's where the trade-off is. Is it, is it a good power source? Absolutely. Is it, you know, there as something to innovate and continue to um, improve upon? Absolutely. Are we ready to handle it now in our societies, given the kind of political ups and downs of things and how our economy kind of drives us towards, um, you know, value engineering and doing things as economically profitably as possible? I, I think we'll end up with some really bad scenarios if we if we continue to try to use nuclear power in that context. And what percentage of our power is produced by solar energy? And do you see that increasing a great deal, let's say, in the next five years? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the solar energy um, space is, is growing. Um, in some countries, you know, more people are employed in the solar industry than they are in the fossil fuel industry. Um, offshore wind, you know, Offshore wind just showed up in America's shores um, and is producing a huge amount of power in Europe. Um, but we've really just begun the American offshore wind industry. Um, I think you're going to see a huge growth in that. I think geothermal energy, um, both at the home scale, people just building um, heat pumps in their homes that can use the, the warmth of the earth that stays consistent all year round to keep their house warmer. Um, I think there's a handful of technologies that we're going to see grow quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of state governments that have set targets of 30 to 50% renewables um, within the next decade. So I think, you know, there are state governments that have, have determined that it's totally feasible to get to 30 to 50% um, of your total state energy mixes from renewables. Um, and there's countries, you know, in Europe that have, have gone to 100% renewable at this point. So, you mean like you know, we, we don't, yeah, exactly. And, and there's parts of Northern, Northern European, Nordic countries that are, that are on their way. Um, there's a handful of them. And so we're basically at this point now, no longer wondering, is it possible? It's essentially like, how do you, um, how do you land the plane? You know, we have to create a flight path um, off of a fossil fuel-based economy towards some of these other um, systems. And I think batteries are going to be a major part of it. Um, you know, you have to keep your grid stable so that as you're, you're adding more renewables into the grid, you get, you know, you don't have more brownouts or blackouts. So, um, so I think batteries are going to be a huge part of it. And there's, there's both the lithium ion variety that we're all used to because it's in our phones, but then there's um, liquid batteries, there's salt batteries, there's um, simply storing water in higher elevations and then letting the water move down to lower elevations when you need it is uh, that's a battery too. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of energy storage technology um, as well to kind of keep things stabilized as we transition. 
If you were building a house now for yourself, what source of energy would you use? Uh, if I was in the Northeast, um, so I've got a home uh, in Albany, New York. Um, it's a brownstone in, the, in an inner city. Um, solar panels on the roof is, is definitely one start. Um, the house currently has a old, um, you know, steam hot water boiler system, um, you know, old school Northeast radiators, with a boiler in the basement. Um, one of the, the things that I've been looking at and, and know people in this space is to convert the boiler in the basement to run on um, pellets, essentially wood pellets that they can now make out of um, not really nice firewood, but lots of scrap stuff and um, scrub brush, scrub bush and, and various other plants that are fast growing, they can now turn into pellets and um, you can relatively quickly retrofit uh, a brownstone in downtown Albany um, by replacing the, uh, the furnace in the basement to run on pellets. And, and you'll save money at this point. Um, pellets are, are a bit cheaper than, uh, than natural gas. So the combination of those two, and, and then everybody's got to do energy efficiency work on their house. I mean, there's nobody who's, whose house is as efficient as it could be. So I think probably if I was going to say right off the bat, I'd switch to some sort of biofuel for my heating and add some solar for, um, uh, for electricity, do some energy efficiency work, and, um, and start there. And if it was a new house, it would, it would be pretty much the same scenario, but you wouldn't need to convert the boiler, obviously. Yeah, and if it was a new house, I would I would definitely put in geothermal heat pumps because uh, when you're digging the foundation, you can lay down uh, a system of heat pumps. Um, uh, you know, it's definitely a premium, but you'll save money in the in the long run for sure. Um, and you're already digging, and so you'll have excavators there and things like that for a new home. So geothermal heat pumps, solar um, efficiency measures, and some sort of um, Local bioenergy, if you can, um, would be would be my suggestion. Believe it or not, we're almost running out of time. I want to spend a few minutes talking about also something that's um, that's uh, that you're involved with ancestral healing. You want to give the audience a little bit of a background as to how you got involved with that. Well, I think that's that's something that's um, really core to to both my personal professional work and um, the whole Munergy concept. I mean, I, what I found in my own life is that there's just all this untapped potential for having a positive impact in the world, having a positive impact in my own life, loving the people around me more. When I go back and really develop new relationships with, um, with the, with the people and the, uh, you know, with my ancestors, essentially, you know, many of them have passed um, and, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents, but there is, their story is so alive in me today because I've nurtured um, a relationship with those characters in my family history. And I found that when I actually started to look into those choices that they made um, and maybe sometimes they were um, choices that had a negative impact on my family or, you know, they treated certain people a certain way and that had a negative impact. Um, I've, I've found that there's just so much energy and spaciousness and clarity um, has come from 
working in my kind of working with my ancestors as is kind of part of my extended family, and I'm talking about the ones that have passed. So I've just found that that's been really um, powerful for me, and so uh, I'm doing more and more work uh, with people, and um, you know, I'm, I'm developing a podcast project to to create a platform for people to share stories when they've uh, had an experience of, of reconnecting with the stories of their ancestors. Um, I've just found that that really helps connect people back to the sources of their own personal rivers that I talked about earlier, you know, when we were discussing sustainability is kind of reconnecting to the places they were from. And I think going back into our ancestral past and reconnecting with the, the characters and the choices that they made and um, finding a place of forgiveness for the times that they made um, tough decisions and to really honor the times that they made sacrifices is a beautiful way to kind of follow your own family's river back to its source um, to help people really feel more powerful in their lives today. So that's what that's what it's about. It's, a, it's about for me. I can see where that's consistent with the other work you're doing and, and very holistic in the true sense of the word. Um, we're almost about to run out of time. I can't believe this, uh, this discussion flew like it did. Uh, Daniel, in the last 30 seconds, is there anything you, you would want to reach out and, and tell our audience about what you're doing or uh, your feelings about some of these sustainability methods that you're employing? I think the most important uh, lesson I've learned at this phase of my life is to is to really tap into your deepest sense of purpose and to really act, and I do this on a daily basis to ask myself, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And how does it make me feel when I do it? And I, and I found that when I ask those questions of myself, I pay more attention to the things that feed me, literally the plants and the animals that feed me, the people that care about me, that care, have cared for me and got me to this point, and uh, the communities around me. And I think that's, you know, there's really no difference between caring for yourself in that way and looking after your family and caring for the planet and caring for the communities around us. And I think if we can we can all find that place of connection between our own personal health, um, how we care for the people in our, our lives, like our children or our parents and our grandparents. If we can find the place where that love for those family members and for um, the things we care about in this world, justice or our country or um, our, our religion, if we can connect that love to the things that feed us and we follow those back deep enough, we'll find that really we're all drinking from the same river. And uh, that. that's what I, I found that. to be, to be the most that. powerful way Daniel, to move forward in, the Daniel, life, in my life. I, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I want to thank you for being on Monergy Life and to all our listeners, I want to wish you all a beautiful evening. Daniel, thank you so much for appearing on Monergy Life. Absolutely. Have a great evening. Have a great evening, everybody. Good night.